Well, welcome everybody. Sure glad to see you here. Uh, I see my friend from Oregon, Dan is here. That's nice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and my sister from another Mr. Amber Simpson. And uh, <laughs> nice to see everybody. And uh, I guess we'll get started with a, a, a prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to get together and to um, study your word. Thank you for the freedom to do that. You know, many people in many countries in the world don't have that freedom. And that freedom seems to be being taken away in some places. And so we thank you that we can still freely uh, study your word and preach the gospel, etc. Lord, I pray you'd be with us today and help us to understand uh, this passage in Jude that we're going to study and some other issues. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are the the person, the a God who gives us wisdom if we ask for it. And so we ask for that today in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Greetings all in the name of the Lord, and uh, we're going to get started here. Um, you may notice that in the chat window, I've put a link in there, and that is for this article that I'm going to quote from. It's called, uh, it's an old article by Jacob called Why, Why Three Years of Toronto and Still No Revival. <laughs> so obviously he wrote that quite a long time ago. But there's some really important information in that article, and I would uh, encourage you to read it. Now, the reason I'm going to read from this article is because we had a discussion last time about the um, transferable impartation or transferable uh, anointing or whatever you want to call it. And I had mentioned that really there's some uh, there's passage in the Bible in the Old Testament in Exodus 30, <clears throat> that basically tells us that we shouldn't be putting our anointing on somebody else. Uh, and it, it had to do with Aaron and his sons, etc. cetera. Um, so the, the section is called transferable anointing, question mark. And here's what he says. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister as priests to me. And you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me through, throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on anybody, anybody's body, nor shall you make any like it in the same proportions. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever shall mix any like it, and whoever puts any of it on a layman, shall be cut off from his people. Quite an interesting passage. Here's what he says about it. Different liquids typify the Holy Spirit in different aspects of his ministry and being. The living water is the spirit outpoured in John 7, 38 through 39 and Isaiah 44, 3. The new wine is the Holy Spirit in worship, uh, Isaiah 24. In Exodus 30, he is, call, he is called Shemin oil, the anointing of the spirit. Notice how the Toronto people, and this goes for Brownsville and any, any other 
related uh, movements. Notice how the Toronto people always say, get it, get it. No, the Holy Spirit is not an it, it. He is a he. I don't want it. I want him. The same with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They have a false, false Christology and a false pneumatology, a denigration of the Holy Spirit. Can you blaspheme an it? Can you grieve an it? Well, don't call the anointing of the Spirit an it. It's a him. The Bible says if you make any anointing oil like it, that's an abomination. You'll be cut off from your people. It's holy unto you. The literal Hebrew is that your anointing is set apart by God unto you. That's what holy unto you means. Uh, you'll remember that Elisha asked for the mantle of Elijah. Elijah said, I can't give that to you. When I'm raptured in the chariot, if it falls from heaven and God gives it to you, you can have it. But it's not mine to give. So it's an abomination to pass on your anointing, even assuming it's real, which is another big question. These people who are getting on airplanes to go to Toronto are seeking to get something that God says is an abomination. Not only that, but before Jesus was anointed for dominion, he was anointed for burial. The real proof of anointing is a crucified life. What was Paul's proof of his calling as an apostle? Was it the churches he planted? No. Was it miracles he did? And he did real miracles. A lot of the stuff you see today is bogus. No. Was it the healings? No. Was it the fact that he raised someone from the dead? No. Was it the fact that God used him to write so much of the New Testament? No. Was it all the people who were saved through his preaching? No. None of that was proof of his anointing. Read Galatians 6, 17. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The proof of Paul's anointing was a crucified life. Read the real proof of an apostle in 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13. Someone who lays his life down for the sheep, who is willing to suffer, who is willing to be impoverished if necessary. It was not a thousand dollar a night room in the Hyatt and a chauffeur driven limousine. That's the world's proof. That's not God's proof. So whose anointing do you want? The anointing from God is something he has set apart for you. So I thought that was quite an interesting uh, take on the whole idea of a transferable anointing, which is really not biblical. Um, so, uh, you know, I just thought I'd pass that on to you because we, we talked a bit about it and I couldn't remember the exact passage, but that's the passage. All right, today we're going to continue on in Jude to verses 5 through 10. Let me read 5 through 7. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he's kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. In a, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns 
gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Strong words from Jude. So Jude is reminding the Israelites and us of the judgments of the past. Remember that Israel was God's elect, his people. But there were those who, though they claimed to be God's people, didn't believe in God, didn't trust him. Be aware that God will judge those who do not believe, even if they claim to be his people. The basis for judgment is always a lack of belief. Even some of the angels who are made to serve and worship God abandoned God for their own selfish ambitions. You know, when we pit our will against the will of God, we're going to be judged unless we repent. Now, Isaiah 14, 12 through 17 talks about what, what Satan did in heaven. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost uh, heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a desert, who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home? You know, Satan said, I will, and was thrown down to earth. And he will ultimately be thrown into hell. Jude reminds us that even the angels, the chosen servants of God, can be judged for unbelief. Sodom and Gomorrah gave themselves over to sexual sin and were judged. If there had been 10 righteous men in those cities, God would have spared them. I wonder how many righteous men there are today. You know, I'm afraid there are very few left. God has left us his warnings in history to remind us that if we do not repent and believe, we will be judged. You know, there are many false prophets and false teachers today who've been warned repeatedly to repent of their false doctrines and false teachings and false prophecies. To name just a few, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin, Benny Hinn, John Arnott, Randy Clark, uh, John Kilpatrick, Steve Hill, Rodney Howard Brown, Rick Joyner, Paul Kane, Mike Bickle, uh, Paul Crouch, Marilyn Hickey, Morris Cerullo, Paul Crouch, uh, Robert Tilton, C. Peter Wagner, uh, Ted Haggard, Cindy Jacobs, um, uh, Michael Brown, um, uh, Bill Johnson up there in, in Bethel, and many, many more. We've got a guy here in North Carolina uh, who's got huge a huge church here. You know, they pretend to be the leadership of Christianity, but they are really unrepentant heretics. And the Lord will judge them and those who follow them. That's the dangerous part. 
It's not just them, it's those who follow them. Jeremiah 5.31, the prophets prophesy lies, the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? I love that verse. What will you do in the end? Jeremiah 27, 15, I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They're prophesying lies in my name. Therefore, I will banish you and you will perish, both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Uh-oh. You follow them, you're going to share in their destruction. That should be a warning to everyone. Revelation 18, 4, then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you not receive of her plagues. We have to come out of the false apostate churches and cults and all these things going on today and dedicate ourselves to the Lord and his word. You know, there are examples Jude gives of those who have blazed the trails to hell. The point is that we should follow Jesus Christ and his word, and not those who are false teachers and false prophets, who are really working for the enemy. Let's look at the verses in Acts 20, 28 through 31 again. Uh, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw many disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. You know, Paul warned the Ephesians with tears about false teachers who would arise from their own church and would distort the truth. You know what? They are not called brothers. <laughs> he calls them savage wolves. They don't spare the flock. They kill every sheep they can. Wolves kill and eat sheep. You know, this is not something we are supposed to live with. We're supposed to separate ourselves from these killers. I shed tears over many people who follow false doctrines into the churches today because, as Paul said with tears, they will not spare the flock. The flock can end up dead. That's a dire warning. Well, on to verse 8, he says, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authorities, and slander celestial beatings. How do we tell who these wolves are? They come in sheep's clothing. In other words, they look and sound like Christians. Well, let's step through this and see what Paul says, uh, what, what uh, Jude says. Number one, they're dreamers. They make dreams and visions more important than scripture. Even when Paul tells us not to go beyond what's written. First Corinthians 4, 6, now brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what's written. Then you will not take pride in one man over another. Oh, I've seen this pride thing over and over again. 
oh, yes, God took me to heaven. Oh, he took me to hell. Oh, he came into my bedroom in a fireman's hat, told me there was going to be a great revival. I've heard it all. It really becomes a thing of pride for people. You know, the wolves brag about how God has spoken directly to them. They colorfully tell about some fantastic dream they had where an angel took them uh, to heaven or hell. And they do these things so that they will be considered to be holy men of God, which is what they incessantly and continually drum into their followers' heads. <laughs> you know, this is exactly what Paul was saying should be avoided. If Christians do not go beyond what's written, they'll not end up becoming prideful. This is not to say that God does, doesn't give dreams and visions. Of course he does. But you know, they are rare. And when they're truly from God, every detail will check out with the written word of God. Every detail will check out against the written word of God. Every part of that dream or vision will be biblically correct, will come true if predictive and in line with the revealed character of God in the Bible. But today we see churches carrying around prophecy notebooks instead of Bibles. We see people putting more faith in words of knowledge than in the Bible. When you see people who always have another dream to tell, guess what? You can be sure that they're wolves. The second point is they pollute their own bodies. Apart from the many problems of sexual sin in the churches, one of the biggest problems of body pollution is people allowing demonic influences into their lives because of doctrinal error in the church. You know, there are so many false anointings out there today. I remember Benny Hinn had an anointing for every occasion. He had the triple anointing, whatever that is. But none of those anointings are biblical. Christians are allowing themselves to be slain in the spirit by false teachers and then exhibit manifestations. They're not in the Bible as blessings, but actually are in the Bible as demonization. They get drunk in the spirit when the Bible says to be filled with the spirit. There's a difference. There's a difference between being drunk and being filled. They're spending their time inebriated when the Bible calls for sobriety. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Romans 13.13, 13, let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. So these guys who are calling for Christians to be drunk, they're wolves. The third one is they reject authority. Oh boy, I've seen this one. The main way in which wolves reject authority is to reject the authority of scripture. They use the Bible when it suits them and use new revelation the rest of the time. Their teachings are not in line with the correct interpretation of the word of God in context, in co-text. They do not accept from the Bible what it is teaching, which is exegesis. Instead, they make up their doctrines and find Bible verses to support what they want to teach. And that's called eisegesis. 
Along with that, they'll not take rebuke or correction from others in the church. They refuse to repent of their sins. They then call everyone else heresy hunters and other names. I've been called that many times. The final step they take is to curse their enemies to death. The very people who have tried to help them see the truth. What an awful thing. Someday they will realize, though, what they've done. The fourth thing that we notice about them is they slander celestial beings. I've seen this so many times in er almost every meeting of third wave, you know, counterfeit revivals on TBN, etc. They speak directly to demons. They yell at them and make fun of them, even laugh at Satan himself. They say they're binding demons. They jump up and down and claim Satan has been bound. They fill drums full of holy anointing oil and spray it all over city, their cities. They push stakes in the ground around towns that have been anointed with holy anointing oil. They blow shofars from high places and declare that everybody's going to get saved. They finger paint signs of the cross and church furniture. <laughs> they do these things claiming they will rid the place of demons. But all this binding, prayer walking, and pragmatic spiritual warfare introduced into the churches by people like John Dawson of YWAM, John Wimber, Chuck Kraft, and C. Peter Wagner, and many others, is frankly unbiblical. The Bible teaches we are to pray for protection from the evil one. We are to pray for the salvation of people from darkness. We can even cast demons out of individuals, but there's nowhere in the Bible the states that we should be praying against territorial spirits, binding them, speaking to them, or using occult techniques to rid our land of them. Those who make fun of celestial beings, which according to the Bible includes Satan and his fallen angels, are in grave danger. Only the Lord can rebuke Satan. We are only protected because of our relationship to Jesus Christ, who gained the victory on the cross. When Satan looks at us, he sees Christ in us. We must put on the armor and stand against the devil and his schemes. But those who laugh and taunt Satan and demons are wolves, and they will end up being destroyed. In the next verse, we see this, verses 9 and 10. But even the Archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuked you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do understand by instinct like unreasoning reasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Wow. This is so amazing to me. This was written so long ago, and it's perfectly, you know, it's perfect for our time. Well, what do we learn about wolves here? First of all, wolves speak abusively. Wolves speak abusively of celestial beings, as we've talked about above, but I have also seen a lot of abusive language against those who disagree with 
instead of using apologetics to prove that they're what they're teaching. We name names on our site as Paul named names in his time and in the Old Testament, but we do so on the basis of the facts, not Paul in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament prophets name names. We present the case, including the wolves, uh, what the wolves have taught and done, and compare those teachings and actions to the Bible. We give footnotes. We notate exactly where you can find what they've said, whether it's a video or a book or whatever, an article. So anyone can look up what's been said and done and will be able to draw their own conclusions. But wolves speak abusively. They don't deal with the facts because they can't, frankly. So they resort, resort to abusive language. Jacob Prash says about wolves, they can't kill the message, so they try to kill the messenger. Isn't that always the case? You know, there have been whole books written with this abusive kind of language by third waivers like Michael Brown and Steve Hill of Brownsville, Assembly of God. They also, wolves do not understand. They refuse to understand the truth. They have no interest in understanding biblical realities. This is why very full, few wolves who are leaders in what's called Christendom today are able to come out of deception because no, they have no interest in teaching or living in obedience to the truth. They've lost their love of the truth. The third thing is wolves try to understand by instinct. Their emphasis is not on what they think, but on what they feel. You'll notice in their language, I feel this, I felt that. Which are inherently subjective and relativistic. They think that it's more important to feel the truth instead of understanding it and meditating on it. Now, I've told the story about a United Pentecostal guy who I overheard witnessing in a restaurant. I was impressed by his boldness in, in witnessing until I heard what he said. He claimed this, the disciples all learned a lot from Jesus while they sat around the table. But since John laid on his breast, he became the one who Jesus loved and he got more of the truth. <laughs> That's called Gnosticism. <clears throat> Gnostic claim that the material world is entirely evil and the spiritual world is entirely good. And they claim that you can get to the secret deep things of the spiritual only by leaving your mind at the door and you're allowing yourself to feel the truth. Well, first of all, if you're not regenerate, if you're not born again, guess what? Yeah, we're tripartite beings, body, soul, and spirit, but all those things are evil, are part of sin nature until the spirit is regenerated and becomes new and the Holy Spirit indwells. Well, because of this type of teaching by people like Rodney Howard Brown, Brownsville, the Toronto Blessing, and many others in the third wave, they make people into unreasoning animals. 
instead of that lifting them up to the image of Christ. We're not to be unreasoning. God gave us a brain for a purpose. We're to use it to think about who the Lord is and to meditate on his scripture. We are to come to know God with our whole person. Luke 10, 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, you mean so our mind actually is important? Yes, it is. Those who teach that we need to get rid of the mind are on their way to destruction. Feeling without knowing is destructive. There's nothing wrong with feelings, but if they take over and become the primary source we use to discern truth from error, we're lost. Feelings need to be tested with the word of God. Don't base what you believe on your feelings. That's a dangerous place to be. We don't want to become unreasoning animals. You know, animals only have a body and soul. They don't have spirit. Humans are the only ones who have spirit. And because of that, if our spirits are reborn and we're born again, then we can then we can come to know the Lord and be saved and be with him. So don't follow these guys who want, it's all about feelings and emotions. Look at their churches. They're all about emotions. The music's all about emotion. And people unfortunately often mistake the, their emotion for a spiritual thing. But it's not a spiritual thing. It's a soulical thing. It comes from the soul. It comes from the seat of the emotions. The devil loves to stir up emotions. Be careful of that. Because that's what they do in these false churches. They get you all, all wound up. And then, though, that's when the bad stuff comes in. <laughs> that's when they start to mess around with your belief system. And if they can corrupt your belief system, they've got you. You're done. You're a done deal. I watched all this happen a long time ago, and that's when I started my site. And uh, watched what happened out in Micronesia when Brownsville came out there. They literally split many of the churches. And... Uh, it was all over the stuff of slain in the spirit. And I'm sure many of you have had the same kind of experiences. I know some of you came out of word of faith churches. Dangerous place to be. Faith killing. 